Let's prove that baseball is not boring. We welcome in our friend Rob Bradford of WEEI.com. And Bradfo, let's jump right into it. The Red Sox are on a hot streak. And in our uh, What If Wednesday, we mentioned what if Chris Sale doesn't pitch this year? Right now, they don't need Chris Sale because the starting pitching is on a heater. Bradfo, did you see this coming out of this group of starters? Well, first of all, good morning, and everyone's yelling McFarland because obviously you yell McFarland when things are good, right? And things are good for the Red Sox, absolutely. And when you ask that question, I look at it like I didn't think that Waka was going to be this good. I thought Rich Hill had the potential of being good. I thought Whitlock would probably be better than he is now. I, I, I think he probably is dealing with something. Um, you look at his leg and sort of limping around last night. Um, but it, nobody, when you get out of spring training, nobody thought that the starting pitching was going to be the staple of this team. And even when they were bad, they were the staple of this team. Now, what Sale does is he lengthens everything out so now you can take a Whitlock and you can put him in the bullpen. And now you have Hauk out there, you have Strom out there, you have Austin Davis out there, you have guys that actually can get outs when the game ends. And that's a huge, huge reason why you should be optimistic about this team. Well, and part of me wants to be all in that, all right, this is an extended slow start, but they're going to be fine and they're going to be you know, in wildcard contention through the rest of the year. But it wasn't that long ago that they lost three out of five to Baltimore, and then they followed that up with a split against Cincinnati. So should should we really be all in on this team right now? I know they're finally above 500, but again – they didn't dominate Baltimore like I was assuming that they would. <laughs> you, you were really stung by that Baltimore series, weren't you? They're so bad. Like, you look at their roster, it's just such a crap team. And, like, I know a five-game sweep is asking a lot, but certainly you don't lose three out of five to them. Well, I think, obviously, you, you looked at how this was shaping up after the, the sad trombone that was the Orioles series and then even splitting with the Reds those mm-hmm. two games. But you look at how this was lining up, and you're like, okay, here's your second chance. The A's stink, and and by the way, what a terrible stadium! Holy mackerel! Yeah. Um, and and then you have you have an Angels team, which by the time they faced them, had lost ten in a row, and then now you you have Seattle, which is no great shakes. So you had your second chance to get right. And listen, I mean, they're taking advantage of it, and not only are they taking advantage of it. They're figuring out some key things along the way, which I think is the biggest part of this equation, which is like the aforementioned bullpen. I mean, I think that you, this is what they have to figure out if you're going to actually be in a serious conversation about contending. And, uh, and it, there are pieces and are signs that they are, can at least, at least have that conversation. Brad Foe, has uh, Franchi Cordero kind of calmed down some of the Red Sox lineup a little bit? I know he's playing a bunch at first base. I do believe the team is like 20-13 and 13 in terms of uh, the record of games in which he's played. Give me a little bit. What do you think of uh, the way Franchi has played so far? Ah, oh, man, he's like a different player than he was last year, right? And, I mean, he's hitting the ball. The other thing about it is he's hitting the ball on screws even when he's getting outs. Now, listen, let's not go overboard. It's not like this guy has a 1,000 OPS, but he certainly is, is added offense to a position you desperately needed to add offense to, which is first base. When he gets up there, I mean, this is, the, this is my best compliment. When he gets up there, you feel like he might actually get a hit. 
You know, so there you go. And put it on the resume. It's something that wasn't on his resume no. a year ago. No, it wasn't. No, right? I mean, it's he, and he's you give him a lot of credit for that. And, and and we can remember we were at this point we all thought Tristan Cassis was going to be up. Well, what I know that Cassis got hurt a little bit with the ankle, but still, like no one's screaming and yelling because. You look at Franchi and you're like, oh, that's good enough. You can deal with that. That can that you can roll with that. That's fine as long as he can catch the ball once in a while. That'd be even better. But it, it's it, I think that it goes a lot. He has been a big piece of this puzzle just to sort of give them some offense from a position that they really didn't. And by the way, like I think it made Bobby Dahlback better, just like last year. I think the competition made Bobby Dahlback even a little bit better. Well, I know there's some jokes in there, but in all seriousness, I'm glad you brought up Dahlback because. Now you got somebody in there who's at least having competitive at bats, where it felt like Bobby Dahlback was just non-competitive in the early part of this season. Right, and and like I said, I mean, I think that he actually like the numbers. He's not much like Franchi. He isn't blowing you away with this crazy OPS like he had for the last couple of months when Schwarber came in, but he has been slightly better. And and Alex Cora says this. He he admitted he's like yeah probably is because of the competition probably because he saw playing time getting taken away from him probably because you know you're limiting like the exposure against certain pitchers all of that helps Bobby Dahlback and so uh, yeah I, I think that the biggest thing is that you just needed some production out of that spot and it is crazy guys you look at this offense overall and you do you crunch the numbers in terms of what they have been since they left Texas in the middle of May. Uh, compared to what they were before. I mean, they're the best offense in baseball since then, and before that, they were literally one of the worst offenses in baseball. Great get, Brad Foe. Uh, Mookie Betts is on the latest episode of the Brad Foe Show. You can listen to that uh, at 2 o'clock. Not now, but listen to it at 2 o'clock. <laughs> Very good. And uh, yeah. you uh, – he. One of the pull quotes out of there is that he loves everybody in Boston. He loved it in Boston. It was one of the best times of, of his life. I know we talked about it a lot at the time and in the immediate aftermath. Do you feel as if the if the Red Sox offered him the most money, would he have signed here? I think so. I think so. And I know that's that's and that's one of the things he addressed yesterday was, you know, people say, "Well, I didn't want to stay." Like, like he said it multiple times, right? In this interview, like people say, "I didn't want to stay here." That's ridiculous. Like, I wouldn't stay here. I just wanted to be paid what I felt like it was worth. And we had all heard that it's a business, it's a business, it's a business. We understand that. But on the underlying part of that was this narrative that uh, he was never coming back. This is a thing that he wanted to get out there yesterday. And I, I believe him. I actually I do believe him. And I also come away from the talk I had with him yesterday. I, I was sort of stunned by how much, like, this has stuck with him. The, the the whole like the per, perception of Boston or in in his mind the perception of people in Boston that he was this mercenary that he was this traitor everything else I said no like are you kidding me like, I don't think that's the case every time that they, it's on Twitter that you see a great play by Mookie Betts you put it up people are like oh man you know like what a great player I hope he comes back now I will say this ever since he put that up late last night and this morning the story in the podcast. It is. People are riled up about Mookie Betts more than I thought. I mean, people are taking sides more than I thought, too. But I just can tell you, sitting down with him, this is the thing that he wanted to get across above everything else. And that sort of took me aback. 
I do think that most people side with him over ownership, right? I, I feel like this is one that they still blame ownership for. I got to be honest with you. I stopped thinking about the guy you when he left. It. Yeah. Only because it's like, okay, he's a Boris guy. Like, if you don't as soon s- as you say Scott Boris is your agent, then to me it's, okay, it's top dollar, and it's just going to be whomever bids but the I, highest. It could be Minnesota. Right, but why? It could be L.A. or Boston. But why wasn't it Boston? And so that's what I go back to is at the time that they traded him, he was the second best player in all of baseball. And it was like, no, we're not going to sign him. It's like, then you're literally not going to sign anybody. If you don't sign him, you're the Red Sox. It's one thing if the Rays have to move on or the, you know, pick another, like a, the Twins. Mm-hmm. They have to move on. The Red Sox really shouldn't have moved on. And even I was one of the, like, I understand the last couple of years of his contract, he's probably not going to be great. But that's also what how it works in baseball. Like, those top guys are going to get the 10-plus year deals mm. at $300 million. So, I think they screwed up. Well, they up. signed Chris Sale. But so, Bradford, what are the people, people mad at Mookie? I don't really know how you can be mad at at Mookie, really, like, of course he's going to want the most money. Isn't every human well, person I think, want the most I think money? It, I think it's still like this belief that he didn't want to be in Boston. Got it. I mean, Got like, it. even though Two he flat things. out said, yep. yeah. I mean, that's what they, you know, they're saying, oh, that's not true. Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's, <laughs> that's what he's saying. I'll tell you, bud. It, it, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's what he's saying, and I believe him. And so, uh, you know, I, the thing that was, well, two things. Number one is that, it became clear, and this is sort of what I asked him, it became clear whether it was in January of 2020 or whatever that the Red Sox had given their best offer or what they around their best offer. It wasn't going to line up, so he said, you know what, we just decided, hey, we're, this is, in the words of Bloom, this isn't going to align. And so he traded them. And now I think that you spin it forward. I mean, there is a very real parallel here, especially with Rafael Devers. There just is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the fact is is that you know, if if Heim Bloom was the GM of the Boston Red Sox at the trade deadline in 2019 with Mookie Betts sitting there, I believe that there's a good chance he would have been traded then. But he wasn't. So if the Red Sox fall out of this, which I don't think they will, but if they fall out of it, will Devers be in the same boat? Because he lines up exactly like like Betts did. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that they, it was never going to get to the value what Betts thought he was. And as we know, guys, we heard Mookie Betts throughout the entire process. It's a business. It's a business. It's a business. Hey, listen, some guys treat it that way. Other guys don't. I don't begrudge anyone who wants to treat it that way. And I don't begrudge like a Garrett Whitlock who takes a team-friendly deal because he wants security. So that's, but that's the approach Betts took. Rob Bradford, WEEI.com. Check out the Bradford Show. Of course, you hear Rob on the weekend. He's got a podcast. Go to WEEI.com for everything Rob Bradford. Bradford, thank you, friend. We'll catch you soon. All right, guys. I'll talk to you later.